This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Good morning, afternoon, evening, whatever time of the day it is. Welcome to this very special bonus episode of Every Step Along the Way. Now, a bit giddy today because we've just about to speak to football finance expert Kieran Maguire. Now, he, this guy knows everything there is to know about finance and football. He's got his, he's got his own podcast. Just fantastic. I mean, Mike, are you as excited as I am for this conversation? I really am, mate, because there's, there's been there's been so much in the way of, you know, I wouldn't say fake news because I think the problem is that no one actually bloody understands it, mate. So um, I think for me, I'm looking forward to this because I think me and you are going to get a, a bit more of an insight. And I think everybody else is going to get uh, a bit better insights, especially into how it works and how close Stoke are to the grind and you know how likelihood, I guess, of any potential points reductions. So, um, yeah, should be interesting, mate. Yeah, I mean, Kieran does the, the Price of Football podcast and obviously everything he does on there is sort of simplified and made as, you know, put into layman's terms as easy to understand as possible. So hopefully, even you know, a couple of duddheads like me and you can understand the complications of, <laughs> of FFP on the end of this. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure we will, mate. I'm sure we'll feel a lot more enlightened and uh, really good work for for getting this over the line, mate. I think it's going to be brilliant for everybody. Shall we crack on? Let's go for it. So, welcome to every step along the way, Kieran Maguire. Thank you very much, boys. Uh, I, I I like an oat cake, so look at this. This should be good fun. Oh yes, you can't go wrong with an oat cake. What's, what's your topping before we go further? Me, I'd, I'd go for a bit of bacon. Cheese can't as well. You've got to go for cheese. Yeah, bacon well, and Kieran. cheese. Yeah, yeah. Um, Brown sauce. Oh no, red. Oh, red. Yeah, sorry, lads. Sorry, lads. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll get airs and graces, me. Although I did, I did uh, when I used to do the insolvency work. I did actually run one of the potteries companies about thirty years ago, which went bust. So every day was was oatcake day for me, uh, for, for <laughs> all, all during the period of the uh, the administration. <laughs> yeah, you can't go wrong with bacon and cheese oatcake. <laughs> yeah. Um, so obviously we've got you on here today uh, to talk, obviously, about either Stokes finances, financial fair play, just 
put a bit more meat on the bone um, for the Stoke fans um, around our club and also how it works in general. Um, but first of all, do you want to uh, talk us through yourself and you know what you do, your history? Um, well, I'm I'm a teacher at the University of Liverpool, um, but I teach on the uh, on the football MBA course they run there. And uh, I teach football finance and people go, well done. Yeah, that's not a proper university subject. Yeah, you're uh, you're winding us up and, and, and uh, you're a white boy. And, and it's all true. Yeah, uh, it, it's, it's not a proper <laughs> subject, but it's got an awful lot of interest these days. Um, and I also work for some clubs uh, if they want a bit of advice about this, that or the other to do with some of the numbers. Uh, I teach courses for the likes of the League Managers Association when their members are doing some of their qualifications, some of their professional qualifications. Uh, and uh, I, I, I talk to every newspaper in the country uh, these days, with, with the exception of the Sun, who I, who I don't talk to. Um, but uh, because rightly or wrongly, financial fair play, Super League, Project Big Picture, uh, takeovers, it's 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 back page news and it sometimes can be front page news as well as we've seen tragically with clubs such as Bury and Macclesfield Town and, and there's problems presently at Derby County as well. Uh, brilliant and uh, so you also do like the Price of Football podcast as well, don't you? For anybody who's sort of in, who want, who doesn't know about that but wants uh, the more finance and football fix. Yes, yeah, I mean. Uh... About two and a half years ago, I, I used to, I used to go and do the football finance stories for the BBC because I was living in living in Manchester. So they've got their HQ at Media City there, and uh, one of their guys says, "Yeah, we do, they're doing a lot of podcasts. They pitched a football finance one. It's been turned down. Do you fancy doing it yourself?" And I said, "Well, it'll be too boring. Nobody will listen, and we'll run out of stories." So we we addressed the first issue by uh, managed to persuade. Uh, comedian Kevin Day, who who used to do Match of the Day too, and he he writes he writes the scripts and the questions for Have I Got News for You. So uh, we managed to persuade him to to have a go at it, and and he said when we first met up, this this is this isn't going to last, is it? Because nobody's going to listen, and <laughs> and how are we going to get enough material? Um, but uh, we we were wrong. Uh, we've we went from doing one show twenty minutes a week. We're now doing two hours of material each week. We've had three and a half million downloads. Uh, it's it's listened to apparently by a, an awful lot of people in club boardrooms. Uh, lots of journalists listen to it and they run stories off the back of it. Uh, we've had phone calls from really weird people. So Gordon Brown, the ex-Prime Minister, phoned me up one night. I'm going, hold on, where, where, where do you get my phone number from? <laughs> uh, but he wanted to know something about what's happening in football finance and... Uh, we yeah we've got we got involved with the fan led review so we got we were in really good terms with Tracy Crouch, uh, who who led that, so yeah it's uh, it's it's surpassed my expectations. I mean I'm I'm a Brighton fan, Kevin's a Palace fan, and when we met I didn't even tell him that we that I supported Brighton because you know we we hate <laughs> each other's guts because I honestly thought after three weeks it'd be like a yeah, it'd be a bit like a one night stand in, in Scunthorpe that you, you just pretend never happened and, and then you just go <laughs> go away independently from one another. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it, it's great fun. It's great fun. And, you know, get, get lots of questions from fans from all clubs. And, and we 
we we, tr we treat every club with the same amount of respect. So I think people like it because it's not just about the big six. It's yeah, we'll we'll run club stories on non-league, on women's football, um, on on this, that, and the other from from all the divisions and Scotland as well. Yeah, I mean, I've I've listened to your podcast now for at least twelve months, and I really I do really enjoy it. I think you you're really good at simplifying stuff to make it easy to understand for the general public who might not have the, the amount of knowledge that yourself has it makes it really easy to understand well yeah well thanks i mean yeah that's that's my you know the job of a teacher is to make complicated things understandable because it, it you you can't communicate unless unless you can put things across it at a, at a level of language for for the right audience. So whether it's me teaching at MBA level or, or teaching to a, a broader audience, a football audience, um, and, you know, I've, I've been explaining the stuff in the pub to my mates. I bore them rigid, but, <laughs> I, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, Kevin's my mate. We're having a chat in the pub, and this this is how we, that conversation would go there. Oh, bro. So moving on then, financial fair play, it's it's yeah. a really tough subject. A lot of people seem to think they know how it works because you see bits, you see bits here and there. But the wider picture of how it all works, what can be inputted, what can clubs lose, what's counted, what's not. Is there a way of simplifying it to make it easy to understand? OK, well, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. Um, under the, it's now called profitability and sustainability, which which is ironic because none of the clubs make a profit and most of them aren't sustainable. But they're at, <laughs> it's, it's now called profitability and sustainability rules. And what it what it says is as follows. You are assessed over a rolling three year period of time. So you, you, you're not look. We don't look at one year's sets of accounts. We look at three years and then that three years moves on uh, all the time. So it's a rolling three year assessment. And the way that it works um, is that for each year within that three year period, in each year in which you have been in the Premier League, you're allowed uh, an FFP loss of 35 million. And for each year in which you are in the championship, you're allowed to lose 13. So if you've got three years in the Premier League, it's 35 plus 35 plus 35. So that'd be 105 million. If it's three years in the championship, 13 and 13 and 13, you're allowed to use 39. If you get promoted or relegated. So if we take a look at Stokes accounts, uh, I've got Stokes accounts in front of me here. Now, Stokes most recent accounts are 2020. So that's one year in the Premier League, two years in the championship. So I've got 35 plus 13 plus 13. Stoke are allowed an FFP loss of £61 million over that three years. So that's that's the first number. That's the headline number. That's what the newspapers will write about. And then they'll say, well, hold on. We've looked at the accounts. And, and if we do look at the accounts, Stoke have lost £134 million over that three-year period. Why haven't Stoke City been subject to points deductions, squad reductions, wage caps and so on from the EFL, it's because there are certain things you're allowed to do um, at a football club which are excluded from financial fair play. So if you've got, uh, if you get promoted, your promotion bonuses are excluded. If you've got infrastructure costs, i.e. you've invested a lot of money in the academy, in the stadium, 
those costs are excluded. Um, if you've got uh, an academy, your academy costs are excluded. Have, have Stoke got a Cat One Academy? I think they have. Uh, yes, they have. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, a, a, a Cat One Academy. Yeah, you know, I, I speak to some of the the guys that run these. They are they they are very expensive because there's a lot of quality control, and to get category one is is hard work, and to keep it is hard work as well. So you're probably talking at least five or a minimum of five or six million a year goes into your academy costs. So you take those out of um, your your calculations. If you've got a women's team, if you've got a community scheme all of those costs you adjust for as well. So that means that if, if we start off with that figure for Stoke City of 134 million pounds, we can start to take out quite a lot of costs from that in relation to those items that we've seen. Um, and also in respect of Stoke, you know, when when they were relegated, they, they did put through some one-off items, which um, you, you can then say, well, that's that's not a normal part of business, so we'll ignore it. And of course, we would COVID as well. And what both the Premier League and the EFL have said, if you've lost money due to COVID because you're pay playing matches behind closed doors, then we will pretend that you did get your gate receipts. If, uh, if you've had additional costs due to COVID, such as you know, you, you've got to have a PCR test two or three times a week, uh, you might you know, think about when you go to an away match, the, the squad might now travel in two coaches instead of one coach because you want a bit more social distancing, especially if you go back you know, 12 months ago when when things were, I think it's fair to say things were a lot worse, weren't they, 12, 18 months ago. Um, and also, you know, even simple things, when, when clubs were going away and staying overnight, historically, you'd have a twin room and you'd have two lads in, in, in the twin rooms. Uh, but what the clubs were then doing is say, we don't want any of the players uh, you know, sharing a room together. So we'd have to go and book twice the number of rooms. You're allowed to claim that as your COVID allowance. So there's there's lots and lots of lots and lots of small print, lots and lots of adjustments. And I think this is what causes the confusion because people see the numbers and they say, well, hold on, you know, Stoke lost 134 million. Why haven't we? Uh, why haven't we had a deduction? Or if you're a fan of an opposing club who have got a beef with Stoke, they'll be saying something along similar lines. So just for, for kind of my benefit, is this why it takes so long for the football bodies to, to penalise the clubs? Because it is so complex and there's so many areas that they have to look at. Is this why it takes so long? Did it take like Derby like two years or something to actually get penalised, if I remember rightly? Um, it, it did take Derby a long time. Uh, part of the reason for that is that their for, now former owner, Mel Morris, uh, he thought, well, I, I think we're in danger of uh, being, being uh, in excess of the limits here. So his coming plan is that you can't deduct points if I never show you the accounts. So that's what right. that's what he did. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's a bit like it's a bit like not paying any tax because you don't submit your tax return. Um, and the the EFL, you know, if the EFL come in for some stick, which I think sometimes it is warranted, the, the vast majority of the time it isn't. You know, they, they, they have a really tough job to do because the owners half the time hate each other's guts. So there's there, there's lots of sniping, trying to get agreement between owners 
is is difficult because you've got different owners running clubs for different reasons. Um, so part of the problem was that, that Derby have not published any accounts since 2018, and we're now in 2022. Um, and when they did put out their accounts for 2016, 2017, and 2018, they they started moving the goalposts. Um, and some of some of the numbers just looked a bit odd. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's the old rule of life. If if something's too good to be true, it's not true. But because they didn't tell anybody that they changed the way that they were dealing with football players in particular, no, everybody thought that they were within the limits. And then, of course, the owners sold Pride Park to himself and put the club into administration, but has kept the stadium for himself. So how... How above board is selling? I mean, for example, if Peter Coates wanted to go and buy the stadium and lease it back to the club and all those business, how how feasible is that? Is that just a sneaky way of in, investing money, or is that because you get away with it? That's probably what the what, what's the question I'm asking. Because I remember that that was touted about Stoke previously that we could yeah. just do some type of thing. Well, I think I think there, there is an issue. I mean, Stoke City Football Club Limited do not own the stadium, so. It is owned by another party, and they and they effectively do 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 rent it. Um, so that particular option is not feasible. I mean, it's at Stoke in Stoke instead of owning the stadium, they they pay just under two million pounds a year in rent, um, and that's what they're allowed. Um, that particular loophole uh, in terms of selling your stadium to yourself, and Derby did it, Sheffield Wednesday did it, Birmingham did it. Um, Reading did it, uh, is is a short-term fix. And what have Derby, Sheffield Wednesday, Birmingham and Reading all got in common? Those are the last four clubs to have ended up with points deductions. Because, you know, it, whilst it's a, it, it's a one-off short-term fix, it, it when it drops out of the equation, or in the case of uh, Sheffield Wednesday, they, they, they sold the stadium to themselves, but they put the sale... They got the date of the sale wrong and they ended up uh, exceeding uh, the financial fair play limit. But what the EFL clubs did last summer uh, was that they voted to change the rules. So now from from the 1st of July 2021, if you do sell the stadium to the owner or one of the owner's companies at a big profit, um, you you were allowed to include that in in FFP. But since the first of July, that particular loophole is now gone. Oh, so it, it, yeah, it'd be useless anyway if we wanted yeah, to do it now. Yeah, yeah. So Absolutely. basically, we need to sponsor a pie for about fifty million a season, don't we? <laughs> I think it's one of them. I suppose. I mean, clubs. Again, I'm sorry. This might be something you might not be able to answer. But in terms of what a club can go and do, like again, I, I was joking about the pie, but you know, a bit like Man City. I remember a few years ago, they their their sponsorship was like 100 million for their, mm. I think their their shirts. So can an owner effectively go and sponsor, you know, puts their own sponsorship and and again quote any figure they want, or has there got to be like an independent review of whatever they're looking to to sponsor to make sure that they literally aren't fiddling the books in it in a roundabout way? Well, they. They used to be able to do those sponsorship deals, but certainly the Premier League have tightened up the rules um, and it makes it more difficult. Uh, so so what we have with Stoke is that whilst Stoke City Football Club Limited, for example, doesn't own the stadium, there is another company called Stoke City Holdings Limited, which does own the stadium, 
that could sell it to part of bet 365 and, and that could go into the equation, um, which until last summer wouldn't have uh, uh, would have been good for an FFP purpose. So the the authorities are trying to tighten up the rules. Uh, in my experience, for every rule, there's a loophole. So um, Everton um, were in real danger uh, of of breaching financial fair play. So what they managed to do is to is to get a former business partner of the club owner to say, first of all, I'm going to sponsor the training ground because yeah, the, the Everton fans would have been unhappy if it was the such and such Goodison Stadium. Um, no, nobody cares about your training ground name. So he, so he did that. And then Everton are moving to a new stadium. So what he said is, um, I'll give you £35 million in advance for the right to have the naming, the, 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 the option, should I say, to have the naming rights at this new stadium. And, and that saved Everton. And because it was in the rules at the time, they, they got away with it. So, so the, the rules have been tightened up. Um, I'm looking at those rules and thinking, well, I think I can get around them. You know, if, if I... If I was the owners of of Newcastle, what I'd do is I'd arrange a pre-season tour in the Middle East, um, and the uh, they'll they'll find a friendly promoter who's uh, who's willing to give a twenty million pound prize for the winner of that tournament, and that tournament consists of four clubs: Newcastle United Football Club, the local under 11s of uh, of one of the schools, <laughs> um, the local blind school. And a, uh, a a bunch of Brits uh, out out for a stag do, and uh, Newcastle win it, get twenty million quid. Happy days! Wow. So it it's it's literally saying that we're we're, we're going to dodge your rules, uh, and we're being very open and honest about it without actually being honest about it. Wow, yeah, okay. yeah. It, it, it's it's whack a mole. You know, as soon as as soon as uh, somebody comes up with the rules, uh, when, when the when the original financial fair play rules were produced by UEFA and the Premier League. I, I I spent one evening at home going through them and I came up with 10 different policies, 10 different ways of getting around them. You know, just just because I like asking around as much as anything else. <laughs> and uh, and I thought, well, if, if I can do that, and, you know, let's, let's be honest, you know, I'm, I'm just a teacher. Then the, 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 the football clubs themselves will be employing very, very clever lawyers and very, very clever accountants. If I can come up with ten, they can come up with a hundred quite easily, and 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 that's that's what we're seeing. So yeah, I mentioned to you uh, about the uh, that, about academy costs uh, being um, being excluded. So what happened uh, at a club? based in the Midlands. I, I, I don't want to give too many names away. Uh, a club based in the Midlands, what, what they did is that they were trying to sign a player. Um, if they paid him what his agent wanted, they would go over the FFP limit. And also um, some of the other players in the squad, they had clauses in their contracts, which says, if somebody comes in on a higher wage than me, then I get an automatic pay rise. So I'm always got to be the highest paid player or equal the equally highest paid player at the club. Um, so they tried to attract the player. The agent said no because he was coming down from the Premier League to the Championship. Um, so they got round it by paying the player's mother seven hundred grand a year 
to be an academy scout. So it doesn't what? go through as player wages. It doesn't count for FFP because academy costs are excluded. And the other players in the squad didn't get the pay rise because this lad came in effectively at the same wages as them. So, wow. so this is this is this is thinking, uh, you know, and this is thinking outside the box. And 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 I and I don't want to embarrass the player by naming him, and I don't want to embarrass the player's mother by naming her as well. The player's dad is a bloke called Paul Ince. Ah. Oh, okay. So, sounds like it may be, may be close to home, that story. Yes, I know. Bloody hell. It, it's crazy, though, isn't it? I mean, yeah, but it, it, what, the Stoke, the Stoke is not the club. I'll say that, though. Stoke, Stoke is not uh, the yeah. club. I, can't, I can think of another Midlands club that we've maybe mentioned uh, already <laughs> that you could possibly be related to. Um, so, you say about owners as well there, and obviously like sponsorship and you know what they can and can't do there. How much money can they put in to offset the debts with FFP? Is there, I've got, is it figure of maybe I've got a figure like ninety six million or something? Is that correct? Um, in the in the Premier League, you're allowed to put in ninety million pounds over every three year period. Um, and, and that's included in the 105. So, so strictly, you're only allowed to lose 15 million quid in the Premier League. The owners can top that up to 105. In the Championship, again, you're allowed to lose 15 million pounds over three years. The owners can then top that up to 39. And what they've got to do is they can't put that money in in the form of loans because loans must be repaid. They have to put the money in through the club issuing shares to the owners and the good thing about shares the good thing from a sustainability point of view is that shares ne can never be repaid by the club or they never have to be repaid by the club so th there's not that constant fear that the owner might get bored and demand his money back brilliant so yeah so it's essentially 24 million gifted to the club from the owner to, to offset losses yeah okay so so that that figure that we've spoken about, was it 61 million months for Stoke? That really is the number that we've got to try and hit over this three-year period. Um, uh, that, that'll be the three-year period to 2020. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, so, so, so we're now, if, if we're looking at Stoke's next set of accounts, which will cover 2020-2021, cover um, you know, Stoke, Stoke have now got three years in the, in the championship. So, the FFP loss will drop from sixty-one million pounds to thirty-nine. So it's 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 tough being relegated because your yeah. your FFP allowance falls, and of course your parachute payments are falling at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I think Stoke made the thing when they got relegated. Um, obviously, a lot of players had um, wage clauses where the wages would half or yeah. see a twenty-five, thirty percent drop. But then there was a lot of players, I know Joe Allen, uh, Ryan Shawcross, Moritz Bauer, Bruno Martins, Indy, they all got new contracts, basically yeah. back up near to where their old wages was. In the, and then obviously they then went and spent, give Gary Rowett £50 million to spend, <laughs> um, in the hope that we would sort of walk the league straight back up and that would be the end of it. It really hasn't turned out like that. <laughs> um so that season there is looking to give us a real problem then, isn't it, when it's uh, potentially next season? 
Yeah, yeah, uh, because uh, I mean, yeah, I've I've got these numbers in in front of me, and it's it's amazing that uh, in in the championship uh, in 2018-19, Stoke City spent 67 million pounds on players. The previous season in the Premier League, they'd spent 58, and the previous season to that, 35. So, uh, yeah, it, there, there can be very very few clubs in English football where their record spending on transfers has taken place in the championship. Uh, and, and clearly that's given you some legacy issues when perhaps those players haven't performed to the to the extent that you'd been hoping for. And I suppose part of the problem is that it's not like we've gone and sold players for tens of millions either to, to recoup some of that, I suppose. I mean, the only one that really springs to mind of any great value is... Has obviously been um, obviously the the Burnley transfer really on this season. I think we reportedly got twelve million quid. I think it was for for Collins. But I think my understanding is we didn't actually get all that up front anyway. I think it was more close to like six or seven mil and then extras on top. So we've not really recu- really recouped anything either by the sounds of it. No, I mean the 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 net the net spend in twenty nineteen was forty million. The net set spend in 2020 was seven and clearly the club was cutting back um and you know stoke stoke city have been dependent upon the incredible benevolence of of bet 365 bet 365's investment was i've got what 79 million pounds here in 2013 it's up to 224 so it's tripled and if, if you talk to football fans out outside of stoke you know everybody's view of stoke is well, they're a well-run club. You know, they 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 are not full of fancy dans. They don't live beyond their means. Um, and, and when you when you start to see these figures, it it just shows just how difficult it is to to run a club in the in the championship. Yeah, you know, based based on my figures, and and you know th- these are these are estimates uh, based on the wage bill and, and bits and pieces I can find. You know, Stoke are paying an average wage, or were paying an average wage. Of twenty-five and a half grand a week in in the championship in 2019-20. Uh, so you know, the, I think the challenge for the senior management at the club is they, they've got to get that number down and quick. Uh, otherwise, there will be a significant financial fair play issue. Yeah, I mean, how does play evaluations work as well? Because obviously, we've our chief executive Tony Scholes is a, an accountant by trade, so I think yeah. he's. He's probably the best man to to have in have in charge. Uh, or what you know, some fans may think, but he's probably been, like I say, a good uh, man at the helm for this. He's obviously left this week and sort of reiterated what him and the coach family have said of they're not happy with how FFP works, or you know, and they're not happy with how the rules are and he limits spending, limits growth. Um, but we'll sort of touch on that later on. He's always said like. That they were sending players out on loan rather than selling them because it helped with the valuations of how they came down. Yeah, because they couldn't actually sell them for any money because nobody would touch them on the wages they were on and everything else. How is it better? How can it be considered better for a club to carry on playing players players' wages to let them go on a free in three years' time than it is to get them off the books? How, okay, how that? <laughs> right. Um, I'm, I'm thinking. Is, uh, is it? Was it? Was it Vimmer? Was the, yeah, he was one of them. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, 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 let's say he, you, let's say that you signed him for twenty-four million pounds on a four-year contract. 
Okay, I, I, I don't know. It doesn't matter what the numbers are. Yeah. So if you sign him for twenty-four million pounds on a four-year contract, the way that he would be accounted for in the accounts, in in as far as your costs are concerned, they take that twenty-four million. They say, well, it's four. It's a four-year contract. So we're going to we're going to say that he's costing the club six million a year, and that's the cost. That's the transfer cost that goes in to your profit and loss account. That what that's what goes in. Uh, for FFP purposes. Now, let's say that, that after a year, uh, you realise he's crap. And, it didn't take that uh, long. I'm sure <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so after after a year, you, you decided he's crap. Well, what will happen is that in the accounts, his value falls by six million a year. So after one year, you've got twenty-four. Take away six, his value is eighteen million in your accounts. And you've got a choice of doing two things. A, you can sell him, but everybody else knows he's crap as well. So if you sell him, you're only going to get, say, four million for him. So what you'd have to do is to say, well, his value in the accounts is 18 million. We can only sell him for four. So we're going to lose 14 million quid, which goes into our FFP calculation if we flog him in year two. The alternative is to put him out on loan. You might get you might get a half million pound loan fee. You might get somebody paying, you know, 30 or 40 percent of his wages. So therefore, you're getting a bit of money coming in. Um, and the, the cost to Stoke would be another six million quid in year two, because it, we're taking his 24 over four years, plus your net wage cost, which after paying the after taking into account the loan fee and the uh, you know, and the, and the contribution from the buying club, you're, you're probably talking hundreds of thousands. So instead of having that £14 million loss in year two, you're just showing a cost in relation to Wimmer of probably around about £7 million, which is, for FFP purposes, helps the club to, to hit that FFP target. Does, does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, so it's basically, like you say, this value. What, what would happen if he signed a new contract? So if a player say he's signing for 24 million, two years left, he's valued at 12. Yeah. If he signs another a four year, like a two year extension, yeah. would his value then go back up to 24? Or? No, no. You, what, what you then do, and again, this is actually what we're seeing some clubs do, you know, and, and fans will say, he, he's he's bobbins. Why, why are we giving him an extension? Is at the end of two years, his value is 12 million pounds. If you give him a two-year extension, you then say, "Well, his, his his balance sheet value is twelve million. He's now got four million. He's now got four years left on his contract. So he's only going to cost us three million for each of the next four years. So it's a way again of of manipulating the system to get your costs out of your FFP calculations. I mean, okay. I've seen that. I say after we did get relegated, we had a lot of players who made it quite clear they didn't want to be here. But we're quite happy to continue taking the wage. Yeah. <laughs> um, so obviously we like I say we got quite a few. Wimmer was one. Um, Badu and Dye was another. Peter Atibo signed when we got relegated. Then decided six months later the championship wasn't for him. He was a Premier League player. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so there was quite a few. Um, I say players like that that have. That then last summer. We had a there would then a lot of them would have had twelve months left on the contract, and it was basically you're free to any home that will take you. Yeah, is that because with twelve months to go, it is now financially viable to get them off the books, and it doesn't affect them as much because obviously they, they, there's only that twelve months left. Yeah, exactly. 
exactly. So so it's 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 going to be charged in next year's accounts anyway. So provided it's after yeah, let's say the the thirtieth of June, um, it all goes through into next year's account. So yeah, yeah, it, it makes no difference in that final year. Uh, so that that, that uh, explains why we uh, had that eighteen players leave <laughs> yeah. next last summer. Um, so I mean. In, in relation to Stokes' accounts, how looking at them as you as you are doing, how do you think we are doing with FFP or the profit and sustainability? Um, I think you were very close to the limit in 2020. Um, you, you know, you had had it had it not been that you'd had one year of being in the Premier League in your calculations, I suspect Stoke would have been fairly close to breaking the limits, but. Um, what I anticipate for 2021 when the results come out is that there will be a substantial reduction in the wage bill. I mean, Stoke were paying £55 million in wages. Uh, you've got some clubs in, in that division in the championship paying five. So uh, there's there's a lot of costs to take out. Um, it, it's it's, it's going to be it's going to be close. Could, you could be on the wrong side of it. And also, we don't know what the attitude of the Coates family is, because there was an interview with the Bristol City chief executive two days ago, which which seemed to fly under the radar. But um, I saw it. <laughs> oh, oh, good man. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and he said, rather than completely break up the squad and flog off all of the players we've got, because we still want to go for promotion, um, what we're prepared to do is to uh, breach financial fair play. If it involves us taking a you know, three, four, five point penalty, we still think we can pick up those three, four, five points during the course of the season and have a decent punt for the playoffs. So, so what clubs are now doing is that they are they're saying, OK, financial fair play exists. We still think we're good enough that with a with a slight, uh, you know, with, with a slight penalty, to uh, to put in a decent performance. Now it could be that uh, the the Coates family and, and and Tony Scholes might take that view at Stoke City as well. Uh, you know that they know if you if you if you look at the small print of financial fair play, it I think it starts off with three points and then it goes up and up and up. Um, and you know in in theory it can be it can be I think it's twelve is the maximum. Then you you can get some further deductions if. If the if the the panel don't like the way you've conducted yourself, so the best thing to do is to say uh, we think we've we've done an assessment. We're it, it's a bit like uh, and, and hand yourself in, you know. So it's, it's a bit like pleading guilty if uh, if ever you've been up before. And I'm, I'm hoping you know, clearly doesn't apply to any of you, fine gentlemen. Uh, I, I I'd rather not give too many details <laughs> about my past. But um, if if you plead guilty in court. Uh, you'll get a lower sentence. And that that's what we saw with Birmingham. They actually reported themselves to the EFL um, when when they realised that they probably breached FFP and they they had uh, their, their points deduction was reduced by a couple of points for doing that. I was going to say, because you saw some, uh, when it was being reported about Derby, so it's like they, they're having discussions about their their penalisation. It was like, hang on, if you've broken it, you've broken it. What have you got to discuss? You know, that's how people were looking at it. Mm. You know, how can you discuss your own punishment when you've, you've clearly broken the rules? So, as you said, I mean, in terms of the measurement of, of punishment, so you said it starts with three points and obviously escalates from there. So, is there like a financial amount put against? So, if you get three points if you're five million over, you yeah. get six points. 
what is that structure um roughly do you know um i i, I offhand it's probably about a point per what per additional one and a half million over the limit right um so if 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 anybody is interested in this stuff if if you go to the ruling on the Birmingham city case they actually list out how the, the exact details um and that's the only time i've ever seen it published uh, mm. which which was quite good um so yeah i, th- I think the maximum is it goes up to 12 12 points if you are something like 15 million over the limit um the case of derby was unique because the the EFL and again you know EFL unpopular with many fans I can understand the reasons why they 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 genuinely are trying to do to be as fair as they can uh and I've I've got to know Trevor Birch quite well you know he is uh he's an accountant as well he's he's been the administrator at Portsmouth he's he's been involved with many many clubs he what he doesn't want to see clubs go out of business I, I can say that with with you know with, with with honesty he he and if you talk to fans where he's been the administrator or he's been the chief executive they'll all say that he's he's a very very fair bloke um my understanding is that when derby went into administration one of the problems the administrators had is they said we don't know what we're selling because we don't know what points deduction we're going to have so they had a few meetings with the EFL even though the accounts hadn't been published properly, they managed to cobble something together and they said, look, the chances are it, it could be 12 or more, but let's just take nine. You've already got 12 points for going into administration and whoever takes over knows that they're not going to have a further FFP fine when they buy the club. And I think that's important because, you know, some Stoke fans might not be the huge biggest fans of Derby County Football Club, I don't think any fan wants any other club to go out of a business. I've always taken the view of you can't have a rivalry unless you've got rivals. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to see any club. Yeah. The thing, Derby fans will be just as you know fanatical about their club as we are about Stoke. So you know, you, it's, it, you've got to think about the fans in circumstances like that as well, haven't you? Yeah, because they, they haven't had any input in this in the situation they're in. <laughs> no, no, uh, absolutely, and. You know, I think it's the same for Stoke and Derby, and it's the same for me at Brighton. You know, you, you don't choose to support Stoke or Derby or Brighton. It's it's a rite of passage. You go along to that match with your dad or your uncle or your mum, wherever it's going to be, and you're seven or eight years old, and that's it. You know, that's it. You that's your commitment for life. And I would imagine, as Stoke fans, you've got more respect for. Derby or Forest or even Port Vale than you have for, than for a plastic Manchester United, Liverpool or Chelsea fan who talks about we and they live in Guildford or they live in, <laughs> you know, they they they, they live in, in you know, Sheffield. Or, you know, you go, why, why on earth are you doing this? It's you, you support your local club. That's what being a football fan is all about. Yeah, I mean, it was funny because when I, when I was growing up, sort of like in the, the late 90s, early 2000s, they would just be like Manchester United shirts, maybe a few Arsenal shirts, Liverpool shirts. Mm. And then obviously once we got promoted, it was all those same people all wearing Stoke shirts all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, and that is, I think Stoke have done some good work sort of, um, in the community and that to bring like the younger fans through as Stoke fans. 
um, visiting schools and giving tickets, shirts away and all that kind of stuff. Um, so hopefully, yeah, we'll have a good fan base going forward. But yeah, I, um, like I say with the, the finances there on uh, on Stoke City, like I say, losing a lot of money there and then now oh. the allowance <clears throat> is dropping. Will the fact that we've reduced the the, spe- the expenditure and everything and we've not really spent too much on fees compared to what we were before, we've tried to reduce wage bills, um, etc. Will that stand us in good stead if we were to break the limits? You can say, oh, we haven't said stuff you were going to carry on. We have tried our best. Yeah. It's just the contracts that we couldn't get out of have meant we, you know, the, the wage bills sort of killed us kind of thing. Yes, because what happens that when you have an assessment, they also take into account what's referred to as aggravating factors. Aggravating factors is, has the club owner tried to weasel his or her way around things? Um, And also mitigating factors, has the club taken steps to address the issue? So has it has it utilised the business plan? Um, is it is it is it is that it can it evidence that it's making progress in getting costs off the books? So that that will count in favour um, of a club. Brilliant. Um, I mean, how how do you feel yourself um, on all these tests and that? Do you do you feel that they they're worthwhile? Are they good? How would you change them at all? Um. Well, I mean, I. I've done quite a lot of work with uh, the fan-led review and DCMS, uh, and and I built about you know, five or six different models using different types of rules. The, the trouble is, it's 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 really it's really difficult because football is unique uh, in you know football is football is the closest thing we've got in this country to a religion, and. And the thing about religion, it's something which feel people feel so passionate about. You know, if if my uh, if, if my local greengrocer goes out of business, yeah, I'm sorry for him, um, but I'll just go and find the nearest greengrocer to get my vegetables from. Uh, if if Stoke City go out of business or if Derby County go out of business, Derby County fans, if the club, if that club goes into liquidation, they're not going to say around. Well, the nearest club to us is Forest. We're going to support them instead. Yeah, it's it's, it's not like that, uh, and it's certainly not like it's certainly not like that in Berry. I lived in Manchester for forty years. Um, yeah, I've got, I, I went to the town hall meetings when the club was going through its crisis. There were blokes my age, you know, I'm 60 years old, blokes my age who, who were who were hard. You know, they, these are the type of blokes who you still you would not spill still their you would not spill their pint. They were they were they were in bits um, because it's part of your family and so on. So football does need some form of protection. Um, there are lots of rogue owners around or potentially rogue owners around. So. What would I do? I would say that if you are going to buy a club, you've got to you've got to put down a bond. You've got to effectively, you know, say if I'm going to buy the club for ten million pounds, I'm going to put money into a bank account. And, and it's a bit like the you know the travel agents that if if you go if you go on holiday and your holiday company goes bust, there's a central fund which will pay to get you home. So similarly with a football club, if uh, if an owner buys a club. All the owners put money into this central fund, and that's used to um, to pay out if things go wrong. And also, if you sell the club, you don't get that money back for two years because it allows other people to find uh, if there's stuff sort of you know hidden under the carpet in terms of the finances. So I think there's there's 
there are ways of providing some form of protection for clubs. Um, the existing FFP, which is profit based, in my view, doesn't work because the rules are too easy to manipulate. There is talk about some form of a wage cap. Does that work? It, it, it works in the NFL really well, but they've got no relegation. And so all of the all of the uh, NFL clubs, they've, they've got to spend a maximum. I think it's one hundred and eighty eight million dollars on wages um, and that that's fine. But then the attitude of every single owner in the NFL is to make money, whereas the Coates family, they want to see Stoke City in the Premier League and they don't mind paying for that privilege. Um, and, and that's that's the challenge that you've got. You've got owners who prioritise sporting achievement and you've got owners who prioritise financial achievement. So if we take a look at the, the Champions League final uh, last May, you've got that took place between Chelsea and Manchester City. Chelsea and Manchester City have lost more money than any other of the clubs in the Premier League in its history. So on the pitch, a success, off the pitch, a disaster. Um, whereas you've got Manchester United and the Glazers, the Glazers are just interested in making money out of the club. Um, now, you know, Ma Manchester United, polarised opinion, lots of people love the club, lots of people hate the club. Um, but uh, I think there's, there's you know, the, the, the attitude of the Glazers is we're not interested in the football, we're just interested in making money. So how can Manchester United compete against Chelsea and City and potentially Newcastle as well um, when when the attitude of the owners is, is we don't care? So you know, Stokes, Stokes owners are in that in that second camp. They want to see Stoke City succeed. And they there are other managers or there are other owners in the championship who say, well, we want our club to, to break even financially. Yeah, we, we're not necessarily interested in making a profit, but we can't afford to put in the, the £224 million that the Coates family have done for Stoke. It gives Stoke an advantage over us. Boo-hoo, yeah, we're not happy about it. It depends which side of the divide you're on. And clearly, you know, Stoke are in one position. You've got other clubs in different ones. I think what's very clear from, from a lot of what you've said in the last you know 50-odd minutes is I think Stoke fans really need to appreciate the Coates family because it sounds to me like if we would have done what we've done and had owners who were just happy to, to basically try and sell the club or, and ask for the money back, which obviously they would never have got. And uh, I mean, Stoke obviously have had these loans from the club at 0% interest. So yeah. effectively just giving the club money to keep them going and never really ever expecting to see that money again. So I think, I think we're extremely lucky. We've, we've got those types of owners because if we had the debt levels or yeah, let's just say the money that we owe technically to the Coates family, yeah. Yeah. we would, we would fold because yeah. we, we would never be able to exist. I mean, that is, that's the scary fact of it, isn't it? We would fold tomorrow if they walked up and left and asked and, for and, the money back. Yeah. And, and, and that, that is a big issue because one of the things that that came out from the Tracy Crouch report, and um, you know, let, let me lay my cards on the line. I'm, I'm, not, I've got no political. In, I'm not party political. I, I think Tracy Crouch is absolutely brilliant, and uh, regardless of what party she works for. But one of the things which really hit me when we were having discussions, she said there are too many clubs in English football who are one owner away from bankruptcy. So. If you take a look at Bolton, Bolton were being uh, Bolton spent you know, Bolton did all those, all those years in the Premier League 
um, every year they were losing money and their owner, Eddie Davis, was plugging the losses in exactly the same way that the Coates family had done at Stoke. Eddie Davis then became very ill and sadly passed away. The new owners came in, said, well, we're not prepared to do that. And, and Bolton went to administration. Bolton were very close to going out of business altogether as well. The same thing happened at Bury. The same thing happened at Macclesfield, where the owners lost interest. And as far as Derby County are concerned, I didn't like the way the club was being run financially. I felt that they 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 were not being straight with people in terms of the way that they 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 accounted for football players. But their owner, he decided, I've I've had enough, and walked away with the stadium. And and you know that's that's the danger. So how do we protect football? from from that situation I, th I think you're you're you know with, with the Coates family with bet 365 you know that business is going to continue on for for you know well beyond our lifetimes it's a very successful business but for those clubs that don't have uh, that type of benefactor behind them um it, it is a risk uh, we've seen Preston's owner Trevor Hemmings he died recently that club was losing seven eight million pounds a year it, it it flew under yeah it flew under the radar because an owner sticking in seven or eight million pounds a year nobody notices and that that's the crazy world of football but yeah the fans can't find that money each year yeah we we, we you love your club but you, you say well I, I can't yeah even if you get a load of fans even you try to crowdfund you you try finding you know effectively a hundred and fifty grand a week from fans you've got no chance yeah I, I suppose Stoke as well we. We're quite lucky in that obviously Peter Coates has been the chairman for such a long time, but his son John is now sort of joint chairman with him. Yeah. And so they're sort of like preparing for when Peter decides he just wants to sit and enjoy the matches and <laughs> and everything. And obviously, like I say, John will sort of take the reins full time, I suppose, when and Peter's had enough of the stress of of dealing with all this kind of stuff. Um so I suppose we are lucky in that respect, aren't we? That we do seem to have like a longer term plan. But like yeah. you say, you're just one bad, one bad owner away from from capitulation. It's like we said earlier, though, as well. Like pleasing clubs. I mean, obviously, a Barnsley are going to probably want FFP because then that stops everyone else overspending. And yeah. whereas Stoke City don't want it because we could go and spend a hundred million quid, not really blink to two dots about it yeah. and then we're, we're loving it. And it, as you said, you know yourself, Kieran, it depends on which end of that scale you're on. Yeah, so. everybody acts in self-interest and there's nothing wrong with that. I act in self-interest and you act in self-interest every day of our lives. We do what's best for us. We do what's best for our family. And you know, it's the same with football clubs and their owners. Um, when when we had the, the wage caps in League One last year, I, I, was, you know, I was talking to fans from uh, Sunderland at one end of the scale, their fans going, this is absolute disgrace. You know, we, 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 we can pay far bigger wages than two and a half million pounds a year for our whole squad. And then I'm also talking to the fans from Accrington and Rochdale thinking this is absolutely fantastic because we're already underneath that limit. So, so we don't, we don't have to do any adjustments whatsoever. So you know, it, what works for one doesn't work for, for another club. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I think you've, you've got fantastic owners because they're local. They love the club. There's a lot to be said for that type of model. It's exactly the same here at Brighton. You know, we've got an owner that's stuck in 400 mil. Um, and we, well, I doubt we'd be in existence without him. 
one of the comments sorry dad I'll, I'll i'll just say one final thing and i'll let you talk mate sorry um in, in terms of one thing that my dad said to me and i think it's a fair it's a fair point so obviously stoke in the premier league for 10 years probably had close to over a billion pound worth of of tv money and all that business and his kind of comment to me was you know it's crazy to think that stoke are 220 million in theory in debt mm. when you've had over a billion club go through, a billion pound go through the club if you think of it as black and white, and it's not as black and white as that, but if you think of black and white as that, it is a crazy situation to be in. How can a club be in that much debt with that much income? But obviously, we we pump it back in. That's why we've got good owners, I suppose. Yeah, and, and also, um, if you think about what Alan Sugar said, he he talks about this thing called the prune juice effect in football. That if you stick another, if you stick stick an extra hundred million pounds in the top of football. You've got the agents and the players coming straight to you saying, well, we're the reason why people want the football. Give us a pay rise. And and that's what we've seen. Um, you know, I've, I've got the figures. I, I am a nerd. I've got the figures for every single Premier League club going back to when football was invented in 1992 by Sky. <laughs> um, and I, I can track every single new TV deal coming in and the impact it had on wages that season. And and it's just it's just absolutely crazy. So if we even if we take a look at the championship itself, uh, over the course of the last decade, um, the the clubs in the championship have got an extra three hundred and thirty four million pounds coming in, but the wage bill has gone up by three hundred and seventy eight. So you know you you get a new TV deal, you get new uh, solidarity payments, you you get a new commercial arrangements, and uh, the players and the agents say thanks very much and. I, I'm not having a go at players at all because, you know, when people start having a go about players and their wages, well, for, for every player that's on, yeah, you know, the, the money in the championship is decent. The average wage in the uh, in the championship is around about 15, 16 grand a week. So so Stoke is certainly at the top end of the payers there. Um, you, you've got owners who, who are worth, you know, hundreds of times of that amount of money. So less money to the players equals more money for the owners. I'd, I'd, I'd rather get the money went to a working class lad from Wigan or Stoke or Barnsley, wherever it's going to be, than than a, than an existing multi-millionaire or billionaire. Yeah, I'm going to give you the chance now to rip apart my, my theory on how we could improve this. <laughs> so I was thinking, if you give, if an owner can put in as much money as he wants, but if he yeah. signs, so you, you have so much money you, you're allowed to lose as yeah. a club. If you want to go over that, then that's fine. Yep. Let's say you, you go out and you spend, uh, you, you've hit your limits and you want to buy a new striker for £12 million and paying 40 grand a week for four yep. years. Yep. You have to, as the owner, you have to physically hand that money over for that contract and that transfer to a, either the FA or whoever's dealing with it. And then they will deliver that money to the player each week for his wages and to the club. If you then sell the club, it doesn't matter about paying for this player his wages are all covered for the four years or whatever yeah and the transfers yeah. so you you sort of pay if you want to do it then you have to pay everything up front and the money goes to a, an independent body or then yeah. pay it out as the money goes yeah yeah stick that in an escrow account yeah i'm all in favor of that 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 does give you protection and perhaps combine that with a super tax so if you go above the agreed limit in the division for every pound that the owner puts in to the club, that owner also has to put a pound into a central pot, which gets divided amongst the remainder of the clubs. 
Yeah. So it's going it's to cost you two pounds, or or it, 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 and then if and that might be for the first five million above the limit. For the next five million, for every pound you put in, you've got to pay the super tax of two pounds. So it, we, we're saying, yeah. yeah, you can put in as much money as you want, but other other clubs in that division are going to benefit as well, and that helps to keep the competitive balance within the division. Yeah, that that's uh, that's that sounds a really good idea. <laughs> It's quite. It's bit. It's a lot more black and white as well, then, isn't it? Than all these loopholes that people yeah. can find. I'm sure there'll be obviously there'll be extra caveats and stuff, but that seems a lot more simplified. And it it makes you wonder, obviously, when they come up with these rules, why they. I mean, surely they looked at stuff like that. You'd think, here, wouldn't you? Or are we giving them too much credit? <laughs> I, I think I think they've they've looked at most things, but sometimes you don't know. Some sometimes these things are suggested by the Premier League. And the EFL boards themselves, and then when it goes back to the clubs, remember it's the clubs who make the decisions. It's the club owners. They say, "No, I don't fancy it." So, you know, they, they they were trying to introduce a wage cap in the championship a year ago, and the club owners turned round to, to the EFL and said, "Yeah, not worth it, mate. We're, we're, we're not going to vote for it. So don't even bother trying to even put it to a vote." I think if Newcastle get relegated, there'll be a lot of championship clubs <laughs> quite happy to take a, a super tax off them next season. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Brett, I mean, have you got any anything else you want to ask, Mark? No, I think that's pretty comprehensive, Kieran. Obviously, thank you. So I think generally from what you're saying, in all honesty, is we need to wait for the next set of accounts. But yeah. as we believe kind of where we are right now as a club, we're, we're close. We're very, very yeah, close. Yeah, very close. Yeah, we're, we're struggling and probably just need to to do everything we can to get as close as we can to to help when we do go up in front of whoever. Yeah, <laughs> yes. But oh, thank you for your time. It's been it's been an absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed that. Thank you yep. very much. Well, you're welcome. Thanks very much for having me on, Dan and and Mike, and uh, all the best for the rest of the season. Yes, all the best you. to yourself, Cheers, especially tonight. <laughs> oh yeah, that's it's the only match. It's, it's the only match that matters, as far as I'm concerned. It's the same. <laughs> you know, we're, we're idiots as football fans, but it's it, it's it's a lovely idiocy, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Cheers, Kieran. Cheerio. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Have a good day. Drop. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.